Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy port beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. What is up on a Monday night? I am Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, a little bit different schedule than usual. I I was battling a little bit of some kind of 24-hour virus this morning, early, and then Borky had meetings all day, so we were a little bit late recording, but a lot to get to today. We're on the up and up, I have, uh, hopefully on the back end of whatever that was. That kind of sucked. But You know, some people stuff- call that a hangover. No, it definitely wasn't because I I did not leave my home on Sunday. It was uh, it was one of those things I like felt fine going to bed, and then I woke up at like, um, I'd say probably at first like I went to bed probably at ten, then it woke back up at twelve thirty, and I was like shaking, even though it really was not cold in my room, and then like I could kind of feel myself feeling a little nauseous and weak, and then the next I would say four to five hours were uh. We're pretty rough, and then I think about that time, I texted you like 6.30 this morning. I was like, I'm probably going to try to sleep a couple hours, and we can go at 10, and then obviously you had meetings and stuff, so we're going on a Monday night, but uh, it was definitely no fun, but I, I feel a little bit better. Hopefully after a full actual night of sleep, it'll uh, it'll all be good, but that uh, playing, playing hurt, playing injured, uh, that's what you do this time of year, just like people in the AFC and NFC title games. we got to get to that. We've got some recruiting. We've got uh, some head coaching attrition at a fairly odd time for Ole Miss. We'll get into the Freddie Roach stuff. A lot of stuff going on. I guess uh, we got plenty of stuff to get into. Oh, basketball as well. Uh, kind of a, a microcosm of their entire season played out on Saturday night. But I guess we'll start on the football front. Uh, they did have a big recruiting weekend this weekend. Uh, they had, I believe, what, five-star running back Zach Evans on campus. They got a commitment from another running back. They got a transfer that we talked about. The kid. We ta- yeah, we, but we, I believe the, it was announced early enough on Friday. We discussed the kid from Temple, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe we didn't. Maybe that was a radio show thing. I could be wrong. But Ole Miss got a couple of transfers, one grad transfer, one regular transfer that will not be eligible until next season. Uh, barring a waiver type deal. So I guess we'll start there. Recruiting weekend, everyone, you know, they take the kids all around campus. You know, creepy people hang out at the library to get a glimpse of Robert Kimdichie's thighs or Laquan Treadwell and what he might be leaning. Love that time of year. Uh, really, the biggest, I guess, highlight of that on that sense was almost got a commitment from four-star running back out of Florida, that running back room is certainly now looking not only crowded, but uh, fairly loaded, huh? Henry Parrish. Sorry, I just left out the kid's name. Uh, him four-star running back out of Miami, Henry Parrish. Kevin Smith, Miami native, obviously very familiar with the state of Florida. But uh, a talented and rather diverse running back room now you got. Yeah, it's it's funny. You've got three different backs you've got two polar opposites in one combination of the two at least right now and I, I don't know much about the other running back in the in the class but you've got Snoop Connor who's more of a, a straight line back and he can do some things in space but he's more of a one-cut guy and you've got Jerry Ely who is an all-purpose back and then this guy who's a little bit he's he's a little bit smaller and explosive in space and 
uh, just kind of three different guys. I'm curious to see why they are going after Evans. And I guess maybe that's the, the, the simple prospect of you acquire talent. If you can get a five-star talent, you do it. Uh, because right now, as you mentioned, I mean, they've got two running backs on campus, two more in this class. I mean, how many more do you take, especially when the room's pretty crowded with talented guys? And maybe Evans doesn't have many other options either. But that's, I guess, a different conversation. I'm curious to know why they are going to potentially sign or have five running backs plus Isaiah Woolard uh, in that room. Yeah, and then if I'm not mistaken, there's also some smoke to the whole um, to the whole him going back to Georgia. Was there not over the weekend, or did I just make that up? No, you didn't make that up. It, his his recruitment is. Um, Interesting to say the least. There are some red flags, uh, personal issues that are scaring teams away, but then he's so talented that maybe they're still kicking the tires, trying to figure out whether or not he's worth taking on as potentially a bit of a headache in relation to his talent. I believe he signed with Georgia and they let him out of his uh, letter of intent. So. And this is after he was booted off his high school team before the end of the season, correct? Before the state championship game, as I understand it. Yeah, there's there's some stuff there. And I think even Ole Miss is having to figure out whether or not they want to go all in and really pursue this guy and sign him. I don't think it's as cut and dry as, yeah, they want him, and if he doesn't sign with Ole Miss, they don't get him. I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I did talk to somebody today that said that that everybody in involved in his recruitment is really making sure that that they can get him to stop whatever it is he's doing and to get him to to focus on football and school and and that you know be a good decision. Even Ole Miss, who is lacking in talent compared to Georgia, is not one hundred percent convinced just yet yeah i mean and maybe i'm wrong that's just what i was told uh, what 30 minutes ago yeah i mean kids are immature at 17 18 years old we've all done dumb done dumb stuff but to your point you've already got a five star on the roster you've got a very serviceable back in jerry on excuse me in snoop connor you know you have Kentrell bullock the in-state kid out of columbia Obviously, five-star kid, very talented. But to your point, at a certain point, do you not just kind of, I guess, pick your battles in the right phrase, but do you kind of, I guess, let that be someone else's issue? It's, I guess, kind of a balance of, well, he's really talented versus is he worth the headache type of thing. Like, it, that's an interesting dynamic, particularly at a position that obviously you're trying to acquire as much talent as possible, like you said, but is it worth the headache? I, I, I do wonder. And I wonder what their... Uh, what their process is like in terms of just kind of gauging that and kind of trying to balance it. They're obviously interested in the kid. They got him on campus for a visit, but I mean, you go through the headache, you go through all this and what happens if the kid, you know, I guess continues the same pattern of behavior and he's, you know, not never makes it to the field or makes it for a very short amount of time. Like I I just seems very hard to actually do your due diligence here. I I guess I'm, I'm stating the obvious here, but it seems very risky one way or the other. It does, and, and I don't know what you do. I mean, there he's certainly not the only recruit that's had uh, some red flag 
issues in the past. And uh, a lot of times it works out. Sometimes, as Ole Miss fans know, it kind of doesn't. Even though uh, you wouldn't look back on Robert Kimdichie's career at Ole Miss as a failure. I mean, he took on two, three guys every single snap. Uh, his stats don't jump off the page at you, but he was effective. Uh, but he did flame out eventually. I just I don't even know how you go about that. But the thing is, as we've noted, they don't have to take this guy. They, they don't have to. They've got a good, deep, and talented, albeit young, running back room. But maybe their line of thinking is, look, we've already got these running backs, so if we take this kid and he flames out, we're set. So why not give it a shot? Because if he doesn't work, we're all good. It's not like we're relying on this guy, and I'm speaking as if I'm Ole Miss, of course. It's not like we're relying on this guy to come in and save our, our program. We're just, you know, he's talented. If he doesn't work, whatever. No skin off our back. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Yeah, I, I'm trying to – is there – for someone that has been very in and out the last few years on recruiting, just from the number of different jobs I've had and what they've asked me to do, uh, you know, some have required me to cover it, some have not. Uh, not exactly my favorite thing to do, but that being said, like I'm trying to think if there's a comparable case, not even really just Ole Miss, just anywhere in the last couple of years. Can you yeah, think of one? Yeah. yeah, that's true. But then that a little different because he was already signed, and that was kind of a – I'm not making excuses for the kid, but that was a one-off incident after he signed is where this appears to be a little bit of a pattern and you have a choice whether to sign him at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, Ooh, how's this one? Chad Kelly. Yep. That's a good one. But then again, like, and I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Like this is like this, I guess the point of me asking the question was trying to compare and contrast to the two, at least in that one, he got, you know, when he had his issues at Clemson, and, you know, I, and was kind of a loose candidate. At least he kind of went the JUCO route. And to Ole Miss's credit, he didn't get in trouble at all, uh, at least unless I'm misremembering, in Oxford. Like, I, I, like to me, I would be feel a little bit – I don't know why. Maybe this is just me. But if I were in Lane Kiffin's shoes, for whatever reason, I would feel a little bit better about the kid going to JUCO for two years and you signing him at 20 versus 18. And, and he's I mean, already that's kind of entirely had to go possible. To some, that's the route he has to take anyway. Because, I mean, to, 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 there was some element of Chad Kelly was he's kind of looking around in Scuba, Mississippi, thinking, holy shit, how, do I, how in the world do I get out of here? <laughs> and that kind of – I mean, in all seriousness, if you watch it on Last Chance U, that kind of incentivizes kids, I guess, to get on the, the – you kind of the straight and narrow. And, 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 I mean, do – as my dad used to say, do right for the, lack, for the lack of a better phrase. I mean, you see it all the time. You see him cooped up in those dorm rooms. You know, there's one gas station there. You see him complaining all the time, being like, I got to get the hell out of here and away from Buddy Stevens. So, like, like th- there's probably some of that to it. And there's some natural just ma- maturation that happens between 18 and 19 and 20. Like, I, I tell people all the time, and this has nothing to do with being an athlete, but just, like, like I, I felt way more mature and, I guess, having my life together and kind of perspective on things my junior and senior year of college than I did freshman and sophomore. Like your last year of school and you're living in a house and you're about to graduate and you're trying to get all your uh, everything kind of together and kind of planned, I guess, your like adult life versus moving into a dorm are two drastically different mindsets. That is true. East Mississippi was the first team he didn't get kicked off of since he was like a sophomore in high school. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I say he didn't get in trouble at Ole Miss. He did have the deal where he ran out on the field at the high school game 
when his brother got in the fight and all that. I didn't really, obviously not a very good look for a kid already kind of on his last chance, but I didn't really have as big a problem with that as whether, I mean, as opposed to it being like an arrest or him being like cancerous in a locker room. Like that was really funny for people to make fun of. And yeah, not the smartest thing probably shows a little bit of a temper and a high head, but like, I guess what I'm saying was when that happened, I thought it was a little bit of an overreaction. I didn't think that was that big of a deal. It's because it wasn't. His brother was getting, his brother was on the bottom of a pile and a fight was going on on top of the pile. So he, he jumped the fence and ran to help his brother. It's not like he was knocking out 16 year old kids. You know, it, that was never as bad as people made it out to be. No, but certainly it, I guess it doesn't illustrate sound decision making. I would say that's a C minus decision. It's, a, it's not an F, but. Anyway, we've kind of got off the rails on that, but yeah, I, I it, it'll be interesting to see where this kid ends up because this is actually what there, you know, there are four or five cases every year, even for someone who doesn't really like enjoy the weeds of recruiting, even though it really is like the you know, Matt Luke cliche here, it's the lifeblood of your program. It really is like that's how you determine who's good and who's not. But if for someone that kind of mildly keeps up with it as my job requires me to, this will be a name I'll kind of remember and monitor no matter where he ends up, because this is kind of a fascinating deal. So you've had that, and then, of course, you did get the commitment from Henry Parrish, a four-star kid, as I mentioned, out of Miami. You know, it's, it's so hard to analyze these kids until you actually get them in a college field and they go through spring ball, and even that, it's actually hard until you get them into a game. But four-star kid out of the state of Florida, certainly a, uh, a good boost to this recruiting class that was – Kind of littered with three stars through the first part. I think they had one consensus four-star kid, Thomas, the tight end, out of the 12, 13 kids, whatever it was they signed. So it seems like a good pickup as they, even without this Evans kid, if they don't sign him or not, a very, very deep running back room. I, uh, you know, it, it, I, I will, it will be interesting to see who gets squeezed out here because there was a trickle-down effect last year of Snoop Connor being effective. And I remember former Ole Miss recruiting got, uh, recruiting or director of recruiting, uh, Tyler Siski was, uh, I don't think he'd really mind me sharing this. He was always very proud of Snoop Connor because he has a different way of evaluating kids than a lot of, and a lot of schools do than the recruiting sites do. Whereas like, you know, fans and even some schools get caught up on stars. They, they don't really look at highlight tapes. They have a different way of evaluating kids. Point being, he was very proud of Snoop Connor. He was like, he, I got remember there a couple of times in practice where he'd kind of mentioned yeah, I remember. I remember. I don't even remember why we took him. Like, I guess just kind of try to imitate uh, fans or whatever. Like, he wasn't even supposed to be taken. I don't know why he's in this class. And of course, he was productive from day one. But point being, that kind of squeezed out Isaiah Willard. There's just only so many carries to go around. Is someone squeezed out next year, or do they find a way? I mean, is it still one and two Isaiah and Snoop? Obviously, with Scotty Phillips leaving. Like, how does this kid factor in? If there's someone, do you think there's someone squeezed out? And if so, who? Well, I think you were you were saying Woolard, but you were trying to say Ely, right? Wait, what? Yes, no. The kid that was squeezed out was Woolard. Yeah, uh, and, he, and he'll be squeezed out. I suspect at least one of the guys in this class they're going to try to redshirt. Yeah, and you kind of, I mean, not feel. I mean, you kind of feel for Woolard in the senses he was a productive back when Scotty Phillips got hurt. If you remember at the end of that disastrous yeah. 2018 season, he wasn't great, and it's. It seemed fairly easy to run in the space that Longo's offense allowed until you got down by the goal line, but he was a pretty productive back. 
He was. You could just tell, uh, unfortunately, that he just wouldn't have been effective long-term at that level. No. uh, Yeah. And, you know, he was young. He's a little bit smaller, and he just didn't really have the burst that that Phillips and Ely did in particular, and and even Connor to some degree. Connor was the kid they kind of brought in towards the end of games to wear teams down in the fourth quarter. So, anyway, some big news there. So, they, they look to be pretty set at running back. They got a couple of transfers. They got a grad transfer tight end from Temple. Is it Yaboya? How do you pronounce it? Again, I wish we got a phonetics guy here. Uh, we'll go with that. He was he was pretty productive, had his most productive uh, last year. He was around 30 grabs, I believe, three or about 20 grabs, excuse me, and 311 yards. Grad transfer kid. Definitely fits a position of need. Because if you're Ole Miss, you lose Jason Pellerin, you lose Octavius Cooley. Like this is a kid, you know. It's and I was talking to another recruiting guy about this back in the fall. It's it's very difficult to recruit true tight ends out of high school. You know, Ole Miss they think they have one uh, coming in in Thomas, but like I it it most of these kids are tweeners basically between either on the defensive side or offensive lineman and receiver. Like it's very hard to find true tight ends coming out of the recruiting class. So this definitely meets meets some needs, meets a need, sure. I should say. And, and as far as I understand it, Temple did not exactly put an emphasis on throwing the football to the tight end. So in a Lane Kiffin offense, that if you've got a good one, he will use them a lot and exploit mismatches. I mean, he's a plug and play guy right away, and probably will start right away just out of necessity, if nothing else. But he's got experience. He's got size. Obviously, can catch the football a little bit, can run a little bit. Uh, it's something that they needed to really complete the, the complement of the offense because uh, as long as Elijah Moore is, is coming back, which I assume he is, even though he uh, fake dog-peed his way to his coach getting fired, um, they're pretty talented, at least in raw talent, at wide receiver. Obviously, we just mentioned running back. They've got to figure out the quarterback situation, but there's raw talent there as well. As far as the skill positions, the tight end is the only thing missing where you look at that group and think, you know what, they've got talent there. There's a potential upside. Tight end doesn't have that right now. And adding this guy at least gives you a, a thought that that position group could be effective because of his addition. They've got that at wide receiver, quarterback, running back. God knows about the offensive line. But skill positions is the only thing this offense is missing from a raw talent, upside, on paper, however you want to describe it, perspective. Yeah, and again, as I mentioned, they have Demarcus Thomas, the kid from Saraland, Alabama. You know, and he he's the real I believe he's the only consensus four star sign. Obviously, you have Paris the commitment. So yeah, that. But again, I yeah believe it when I see it type of deal in terms of him being ready to play out of high school. Can't rely on true fresh. If you're relying on a true freshman to immediately come in and be productive, you've got problems. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and so I, I, I'm of the opinion, you know, Ole Miss had Jason Peller and they had Octavius Cooley. Hell, you had Dawson Knox. Like, can you deduct scholarships from Ole Miss for how they've under criminally underutilized the tight end? <laughs> Just call the NCAA back and be like, hey, guys, you didn't punish them hard enough. Yeah, you got to slap them for this because it's mostly Phil Longo. But, you know, Rich Rodriguez, obviously, Rich Rodriguez is not really supposed <laughs> to use the tight end hardly at all. Dude, uh, what know, they, the hell they, was that? I still I, I'm blown away. If you remember the conversations that we were having going into the season, that that's Rich Rodriguez. 
and it was a complete failure. Let's be honest here. It was a failure. There wasn't it, there was no growing pains. The offense was a failure. How the hell did that happen? Well, okay, and I, I agree because I don't think that crap works against the top level defenses. But it was kind of a different version of the Phil Longo syndrome, wasn't it? Because they did tear the hell out of some bad teams running the football. And so it's like, maybe this is a thing across the board in college football. And I don't keep up with college football, like the minutia of each team enough, because I'm obviously only assigned to one cover. And then on game days, really and truly, I, outside of a few SEC games, I just don't have, I don't get to watch a ton of it. But point being, is this a thing in college football now where offensive coordinators just brag about how many yards they get? And it's like, uh, like dude, your team stunk. You know, your games are four hours long. I don't care that you can put up 500 yards in 19 possessions. Like, is that a thing? Because you've now seen that a couple of times, particularly Phil Longa, but even against Rich Rodriguez and bad teams. Like, I mean, that was a big selling point of how many points they scored on LSU. And it's like, yeah, LSU wasn't really interested in being there. And, like, there's more examples of it not working than working. Anyway, they, they had enough problems in their own right just kind of completing the forward pass in general. I do. The one thing we, Ole Miss fans will not agree, but like one thing I felt robbed of. What does that look like in year two? Because they were going to have a bit of a mess on their hands with the way they handled the egg bowl. Like I I really wanted to see how year two of that played out. Think about all that they would have lost. They they were going to lose Grant Tisdale and Matt Corral. It was going to be John Rice Plumley's team. They were going not to lose si- the receivers. They were going to lose the receivers. They would not have signed this running back that they just got. But I mean, oh, man, I don't know. I, I it would have been brutal, especially with more time to prepare. And LSU being the selling point for that offense last year, that always cracked me up. I, I got some blowback from uh, somebody that I know personally that works at Ole Miss Athletics. They were very. Uh, frustrated with me in particular because, well, basically the premise was that I was not complimentary enough of the way they played against LSU. And I, I was nice in response, but I kept thinking, is the game that they really got down 28 got, to nothing in? Yeah, is that really that what you guys are trying to sell up there right now? Are you really trying to sell? We got beat by three touchdowns at home. That's what you want people to be proud of? Uh, I didn't say it like that because it's somebody I've known since day one. I mean, 10 years now. But still, it's, that's, what, that's what you're proud of. That's what you want people to sell. That's what you want the media to be talking about is, well, hey, we only got beat by three touchdowns to LSU. The same team that gave up 38 points to Vanderbilt. That's what you want us to sell? Good luck. Because this doesn't work. And I I guess, and this is all moot now because Keith Carter came in, the Slim Reaper, and changed everything. Um, But I was blown away that some people up there were willing to go all in on that and were accepting of that and okay with, the empty seats and the getting blown out and losing to LSU by three touchdowns. But hey, guys, there were a couple big runs in there. Did you see those? Mind blowing that that was going to be accepted. I mean, if you're an Ole Miss fan, thank God for Elijah Moore. Because without that dog pee, I don't think you're sitting here with Lane Kiffin right now. 
Oh, no, I, no, you're not. Well, actually, I don't know. Because, and I've it's got not as story, simple as I just made it. Yeah, I got a story actually coming out at the end of the week uh, on Keith Carter and kind of his first few months on the job and the decisions that went into that. And judging just from sitting down talking to him, and of course, he's probably always going to play a little bit coy with that just in general, but it sounded like a dude who saw that, I mean, not to spoil the premise of the story, but like he saw that there's one group of fans that's going to be there no matter what because they like Ole Miss, they'll support whoever. There's one that were out on Luke from day one and were just bad, and then there was one that were on the fence and uh, kind of, leaning towards joining the latter group and he said if we went through 2020 i felt like that middle group was never coming back and so i think elijah moore probably gave him every reason to or probably hesitated any pause he had but yeah i mean it 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 was going to be a disaster next year i i that would have been it would have been very fascinating to watch honestly just from a, a neutral observer standpoint like i would have been fascinated by it but it would have been like you know, a monster trucks rally, like you're there to see the crash. So, or why a bunch of people watch NASCAR, like it would not, not have been fascinating in a good way. So anyway, they've got uh so they had the tight end. And then I missed one more Otis Reese transfer safety from Georgia comes in. He probably won't be eligible next year unless he goes the whole Tom Mars route, which, Hey, why the hell not try it these days? It seems like it's working for everybody. A guy that's played in, played in a lot of games at Georgia, but primarily on special teams and in mop up time his first two years. But you know, eventually adds a veteran four-star piece in the secondary that uh, has got some young talent, but um, definitely, definitely kind of uh, took its lumps at time this year because some of the veterans they had just either didn't perform, got hurt, among other things. So that is a uh, that is certainly an encouraging, encouraging, I guess, sign for that secondary. And again, another guy, another guy you can just kind of anytime you get like you mentioned accumulating talent anytime you can add you know high rated kids on the roster it, it certainly does not hurt no and it, it leads to what we talked about last time about how they're going to go about uh roster building and this is a really good way to do it i mean with the talent that georgia and alabama are acquiring see clemson's doing it differently we talked about this on the radio show if you look at Clemson's recruiting classes by the numbers, you'll think, oh, wow, like they're really developing players. And they are. And they evaluate really well. But when you look at the classes, they're just smaller. They're filled with five and four star guys. There's just not as many of them. They don't process these guys out. Georgia and Alabama and Auburn, to an extent, these programs, they're signing 25 guys a year. They are processing really good football players out of their program all the time. So there is opportunities with the growing interest in the transfer portal to get guys like this, if you're Ole Miss. A talent that you, at least in the past, haven't been able to get in large quantity in basic recruiting. But now this kid goes to Georgia, sees, well, shit, there's 10 guys with my skill set in front of me right now. Maybe I can go play somewhere else and here calls Lane Kiffin, hey, you can still play in the SEC, get some playing time, we need a player like you, and it works out. The portal is really going to help schools like Ole Miss, who are attractive for recruits, but not as attractive as a Georgia or an Alabama, but when they get processed out of these places, it's a good place to go. And on top of that, even just this weekend, I mean, they had, what, six official visitors? The quality of the player, and... There are some people, I don't think you subscribe to this, 
recruiting rankings don't, air quotes, matter, but they're a really good indicator of how talented a kid is. These analysts, these recruiting people, do a really good job of ranking these players. Their hit rate is really, really high. Yes, there are two stars that make the NFL. Yes, there are unranked guys that do it. Yes, there are five stars that bust. But generally speaking, five-star is a 50% hit rate. Four stars, a 20% hit rate. Three stars are 5% hit rates as far as going to the NFL. It makes these recruiting services look really good. They do a good job. And the, the talent that was just visiting Ole Miss this weekend, five-star running back, they have a chance to sign. Four-star running back committed. Four-star defensive end. Certainly sounds like he's going to end up at Ole Miss. Multiple got a graduate transfer from former four-star that was at Georgia going to go to Ole Miss. Graduate transfer tight end, a bunch of people wanted going to Ole Miss. The talent elevation, there was more talent on campus this weekend on a high-end scale than ever visited under Matt Luke. And it's not fair because he had some limitations, but still, just this weekend, small number of visitors more four and five stars than they had visit for the last three seasons. I agree. We've got uh, one more piece of football uh, business to get to, but first got to take a break, tell you about LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg, the uh, picks this week went one and one. He went bold and went Titans money line. Didn't pay off for him. We'll get to that later as to why he uh, picked the Niners who beat the brakes off of the Packers. But go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Steaks, custom cuts, daily specials. He's got seafood, sides, sausages. He's got all kinds of stuff. He can help you decide what you want to put on the grill. Uh, they've got the eight-ounce bacon wrapped or eight-ounce bacon wrapped fillet, Lane Kiffin special, the Keith Carter special, six-ounce bacon wrapped fillet. He's got game packs for baseball games coming up. You can go throw some sausages and stuff on the grill out there. All kinds of great stuff. Go see Greg. He's got plate lunches, too. You can go in there and grab a bite to eat, then decide what you want to put on the grill for later. Uh, great place to go get meat. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Really appreciate Greg. The second order of business, aside from recruiting, which from a general perspective in the end there, you did a good job of laying out what kind of these, the general talent Ole Miss is now acquiring to campus. I think you're really going to see that. Like in terms of like the staff and the staff that's known to be a good recruiting staff, and we we'll, we'll get to all of that in a second as well because the staff is now complete-ish. Um, but you did a good job of laying that out. But I think that's really going to be reflected in 2021 as well when they've kind of got their feet under them, and it hasn't been kind of a, uh, I guess, patchwork job. I guess I mean you 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 got through the early signing period. You've got a new staff in. Not a ton of time to build relationships, but you kind of get my point. So. On the flip side of that, Ole Miss's staff was complete for about, what, 15 hours, 20, no, 36 hours? We'll give it that. Ole Miss's staff was complete. Uh, on Friday, uh, word started getting out. We had a story at Supertalk.fm that Ole Miss had hired former Mississippi State defensive backs coach Terrell Buckley, who coached the corners at Mississippi State. And then at the same time, as I was writing, as I was writing that story, Ole Miss comes out with a release that announced, I believe, announced the Derek Nix hire officially, which you already knew. And then all of a sudden, just kind of a bombshell that no one really caught wind of that, hey, oh yeah, Freddie Roach, uh, he's not going to New York Giants. He is staying here. Uh, then they get announced at the football game. Lane Kiffin kind of strolls out like he's about to head to a Ken Kenny Chesney concert, waves a couple times, throws some shirts into the stands. You've got all the staff out there. Staff appears to be complete. Sunday night, 
Freddie Roach is, uh, I believe it was first reported by uh, Chuck at uh, The Spirit, if I'm not mistaken. I want to make sure I get that correct. That Freddie Roach, there was some serious smoke to Freddie Roach heading to Alabama. And it definitely, though, it has not been officially reported by at least anyone on that media contingent over there. It appears to be a done deal. Uh, Freddie Roach, is he the most popular defensive line coach in the country? I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but the man's been all over the place with all kinds of options. Yeah, and especially one that, I mean, not done a bad job, but, I mean, has the work that he's done with the, that defensive line and recruiting the state of Alabama been just exceptional to where the New York Giants and Alabama are trying to steal him from you? I mean, good for him. And especially, what I'm about to say needs to be prefaced with, of course, you take the Alabama job over the Ole Miss job if it's the same position. Of course you do, especially when you played at Alabama and the place means something to you. But it is wild that on Saturday night, he's on the basketball court getting introduced as the, uh, you know, with the new staff and waving to fans and throwing a T-shirt in the stands. And then literally the next day, it's like, oh, by the way, he's going to Alabama. You can't convince me that there was not at least a conversation had before they walked out onto that basketball court. That. That's crazy to me. Like, why not just delay your announcement? If, if you're not 100% in, just wait a couple days. Nobody would have noticed he was on the court or not on the court. Maybe they would have, but nah, he was recruiting. He was with the recruits. Okay, fair enough. That would but, lead me to believe, though, that he didn't know, that they didn't know. Because this did seem to pop up out of nowhere. It just happened so quick. It's mind-blowing, though, that... And Alabama hadn't fired anybody by Sunday. They still have a complete – they're moving somebody to an off-the-field role. I forget who it is. But when that came out, they still had a full defensive staff. Yeah, they. But I guess sometimes behind the scenes those things – like, don't you think they're maybe sometimes in the works even before they happen? Like, do you think on Saturday Saban knew he was leaving the guy even before it was reported? Like, do you think – like, just to me, that seems that, like – That's what weird. I'm saying is they knew that there there was wheels – there had to have been wheels turning before 8 o'clock on Saturday night. Yeah, I guess – I don't know. It was a weird I, that's, deal. That's I just think if they had an inkling that he wasn't going. Had on. Yeah, I don't know. I just think if he had an inkling that he wasn't uh, – that he was not going to be a part of the staff, they wouldn't have run him out there. I don't know. Either way, it's kind of interesting. Guy's been all over the place. It was reported by you know several reputable media outlets that covered the Giants that he was headed there. And yeah, what's the deal with that? I have because no idea. Those people he, don't get things wrong that often. Well, that, I mean, that's. I, I think you can all be right here. I think it's. Uh, I, I, he may have been as of midweek heading to the Giants, just like he was staying at Ole Miss. I mean, they're not putting out a press release. Until that's set in stone, right? Like, like that's the confusing part in all of this. I think it's kind of humorous because the man is just leveraging upon leveraging upon leveraging. I hope he got a pay raise out of this because, because I mean, to your point, they don't get those kind of things wrong, particularly in the NFL. And now, granted, they get reports wrong. I mean, you had, uh, how was it? Diana Rossini reported that Doug Marone was going to be fired as Jacksonville's head coach, and that just turned out not to happen. All there's stuff things wrong, but generally. In the NFL, information like teams aren't like professional sports organizations are not paranoid about information getting out. So once it's out there, you kind of figure that it you know it's going to get out there eventually, 
and it's most nine times out of ten it's accurate. So I mean, I, I, I have no reason to believe that it, the reporting was inaccurate. I just think, I mean, to borrow a term from people that often get things wrong, uh, sur- sub- uh, substantive change in circumstances, I don't know, but uh, quite a wild week for Mr. Roach. Yeah, it is. And then where do they go from here? I mean, if it is done and there hasn't been a formal announcement, which I guess is crazy at this point. If he stays at Ole Miss at this point, I am. Like, how do you go to your next team meeting? What's up, guys? Was it New York? The yeah, Tuscaloosa? been a lot of places no, this back. week. How you doing? So, Freddie, what was the deal with Alabama? Uh, what are you talking about? Nothing? I don't even, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Either way, where do they go from here? I don't know. I know there's a lot of, like, uh, I mean, this is only natural given just kind of the, the connection there, but a lot of people have said, Chris Kiffin, I don't necessarily see that. I don't see Chris Kiffin coming back to Ole Miss. Uh, I would say it's somewhat educated, but I could be wrong, I guess. I don't really know where you go from here. I mean, I'm sure there are candidates out there, and it'll get you know settled sooner than later. But to be honest, I, I, at this point in time, I couldn't really point you to a direction. Like there, There's not really a clear and obvious name that pops up off the top of my head. It just doesn't. I, I don't know. Uh, so it will be interesting. So th- they did have a complete staff for a little bit. But uh, I, I guess from a recruiting standpoint, what that really probably affects is uh, McKinley Jackson, the defensive tackle from George County. I always want to say Stone County, and I don't know why. I've covered a couple of George County baseball games before when I was stringing for the uh, Clarion Ledger way back in the day. But um, definitely a defensive line prospect that they were really, really highly touted. Got a ton of, you know, ton of offers from Blue Bloods. You figured if you had Ro- – the thinking was if you had Freddie Roach, if you're Ole Miss, you probably have a pretty good chance. Uh, now, obviously, that I don't know how that changes things exactly, but it definitely changes things. Uh, but either way, I think they'll be fine. I mean, like I kept be like I, a couple of questions I got from friends or whatever at, as you know throughout the day as that happens is well now they're out. He's like now they're out on uh, the kid's name is escaping me, uh, McKinley Jackson. Excuse me. Like now they're out on them, but it's like yeah, but you don't you don't sign a like you don't retain a coach just for one kid in one class. Like that's just not really a practical way to go about things. So you know I don't know where they go from here, but I imagine it'll be solved in the next week or so. But uh, a lot of late movement in this coaching carousel, at least this uh, local coaching carousel, and it's kind of interesting because I think the question was posed on the show today is like, is this normal? And like. Maybe, but it seems like there's a lot more late movement among assistants. Now, some of that's only natural because you know Mississippi State hired a coach at a very interesting time. You don't normally see it play out like that. But point being, like it, it feels like that's a little different from this year. A lot of late attrition on the coaching staffs. For sure. And uh, how much do you think this affects Old Miss, just having instability there? Because, I mean, by and large, for example, the – as far as I understand it, the four-star defensive end that was in town this weekend's primary recruiter is not the defensive line coach. It's not really how how they do it. So they're not hurting there. But, I mean, they're still going to host a few guys next weekend, one of which is a, another four-star in the defensive secondary. I mean, how much does missing one coach actually matter, or does it at all? I would say not a ton. I would say it definitely matters some, like minimally, but I don't think a ton. I mean, you've got you got nine or ten on-field assistants set. It's just one dude. So, yeah, it probably affects some with a couple kids, and it definitely changes things, but I don't think it's anything dramatic. 
I mean, how, I mean, uh, what, uh, not to, not to constantly make a state comparison, but I mean, across the state, like Leach doesn't even have a full staff in place yet. It's just kind of part of it, but, uh, yeah. just very, very weird to see them all trot out on the court. They announce on the staff, all the fans go nuts. And then like 24 hours later, it's like, uh, psych, not actually staff, not actually complete. So I don't know. I found that funny. Uh, Lane Kiffin rolls out in a uh, button down jeans and a mesh back hat. Like if you'd have told me he was headed to Eric church and Tupelo afterwards, I'd have been like, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> he, but, I mean, some he really is the energy. perfect fit for old best man. He, I mean, <laughs> he just looks like that sloppy Sigma Chi that just rolls up to the bar on a Tuesday night, just hanging out, man. Like his shirts are like, they're ironed, but poorly. And like, the collar's all weird looking and open and I mean he is just the ultimate old miss bro. He really is. Yeah, it is uh it is quite humorous and just kind of on t- on top of all that, it's just like like the contrast between he and Leach too is like apparently they introduced Leach and State had a home game too, and he grabbed the mic and started talking and everything. Kiffin just casually strolled out there, kind of gave it a wave, threw his t shirt and walked off, kinda like, Oh, glad that shit's over. Uh so <laughs> just <laughs> Hey, uh, definitely, definitely contrasting personalities, but yeah, I agree. Just from a stereotyping standpoint, a hilariously perfect fit for <laughs> Ole Miss. So I don't know. We'll keep in, we'll keep tabs on that going forward as far as the defensive line coach. So you know, Ole Miss's staff not full yet. You thought it was going to be, but you're you're certainly close as they uh, roll into another official visitor weekend. This weekend, which I believe I was told they only have one slated for right now, but again, I that that seems like a very like like wishy washy type of thing to where if they have one now that could change by the weekend or it could not or whatever. I just it seems very uh, very back and forth. I can't see like from the recruiting guys I do follow. I can't tell you how many like retweets I've had. It's like I will no longer be visiting blank this weekend. It's like you you mean in four days? Like I don't understand. So. Uh, Definitely, as recruiting kind of always goes, a wishy-washy, uh, fluid, fluid business. So, I think that's about all we had on the Ole Miss uh, recruiting, coaching staff, attrition type front. Uh, in other news, I guess we go NFL, then we'll do basketball to close, uh, just because there's not a really ton to talk about at basketball at this point. Brian Tyree did have some interesting post-game comments that I'd like to get to, but uh, we can go football first. It was a uh, it was a end of the run for my Titans and the LBs pick them uh, did not hit on this one, but hit on the latter half. The Titans lost what 35, 24 to the Kansas city chiefs. Uh, the start of the game. I really thought the Titans were going to the super bowl. The game was playing directly in their hands. They kind of methodically go down the field. The first drive, they only get a field goal. They stop the chiefs on a three and out, take up six, seven more minutes, score a touchdown. Chiefs answer, and then what I thought was the, what I thought was going to be the biggest, most significant punch of the game. The Titans take like nine minutes and answer with the touchdown. Towards at that point, seven minutes left in the first half, you're thinking, okay, worst case scenario, Titans are down 17-14 here. If they give up a touchdown, absolute worst case. And of course, that was not the worst case at all. The uh, the Chiefs really kind of took over the game. They uh, they you know Mahomes goes down in like four plays, scores a touchdown. Then, really, and I said this with the people I was watching the game with, the Titans had the ball back with three minutes left. I was like, if the Chiefs touch this again, uh, the Titans are in huge trouble. Like the, And the Titans had been running it and moving it down the field okay, and their first three and out came at the absolute worst time. 
you know, they go real conservative. Henry gets stopped. They throw it to Lewis out of the backfield. He gets stuffed. They punt it right back to the Chiefs, who march down the field in like two minutes, and it's capped off by Mahomes making a uh, probably one of the more ridiculous plays in conference championship game history. Like without pathetic tackling in the secondary, though, you cannot go for the strip there. No, and it, it, not only that, it was like aside from going for the strip, it was just terrible tackling. Like it was just absolutely atrocious. Even just the you know. The strip aside, it was terrible tackling, but you know, give credit for uh, give credit to Mahomes tiptoeing down the sideline. He is ridiculous. And then, of course, the Chiefs get the ball after halftime, and I thought it was over. But then the Titans got the stop out of halftime miraculously. I, I I gave it zero to little to no chance the Titans were getting a stop after halftime. They get one, are unable to do anything with it. You they had a first and five and somehow had to punt. And the game was really kind of over after that. But really, the takeaways I had from this is Mahomes is the best quarterback on earth and pretending anyone else was is uh, is just kind of silly. And number two, the Titans generated a pass rush early in the game uh, without having to blitz, and it got to Mahomes, and it was working. And then they really, to me, just seemed like they got worn down and were tired. And that was really the difference in the game because Mahomes, that offense has too much speed. He's too good. If you're not getting after him, you're toast. Like it, it, it's just not happening. And unfortunately, it was a uh, bitter end to the season for the Titans. But it was a, uh, it was a fun run. I, I enjoyed it. I was disappointed on Saturday, but I, or Sunday, excuse me. But I was, I don't know. I thought it was a, uh, you know, that team to me reached just about its peak. Uh, thoughts on this one? That was a lot of thoughts for me. Real quick, complete non sequitur. Uh, Dan Wolken now officially with the worst take. In the history of takes on sports things. You ready? Uh, that's okay. We can pause for that. What laid on me. So Jalen Hurts is at the Senior Bowl. And for a charity function, they give the players like their helmet and also a replica of their helmet that they sign and they auction off for charity. Jalen Hurts' helmet for this game is pretty cool. One half of the helmet is Alabama Crimson with the number two on it. I with saw the, this. the gray yeah. face mask. The other half is the Oklahoma Crimson, slightly different shade, with the Oklahoma logo, and the other half of the face mask is white. And you remember these all-star games, these players slap logos all over their helmets. So, like, wearing a helmet like this is not out of the ordinary at all. It's a unique thing, and it's uh, going to I thought it was pretty cool when I saw a photo. It's pretty cool. Dan Wolken quotes the ESPN college football video of Hertz receiving his helmet and says, this is a bit much. Are we going to start doing this for every player who transfers? He follows it up with auctioning one off for charity is cool, but the idea of him wearing that at the senior bowl seems over the top reverential and weird. Uh, Again, this is the classic case. You stumble in this on the internet at times. I, I would say Walken is very much print of this. Uh, this is my thing where I kind of raise my hand. Like, I wish I could talk to these people in person because tweeting them does no good. But, like, when some – obviously, he's fishing for attention here. But just on its surface, like, why would you not raise your – like, to me, this is where I want to, like, just kind of raise my hand and ask them in person. Like, hey, why do you give a shit? <laughs> like, why do you have – why do you have to have an opinion on this? Why does it matter? And I guess that's somewhat hypocritical in the sense is why I'm 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 bothered like I sound bothered by them having an opinion. I'm not really bothered by it. I find that weird. Like, like who cares? Who the hell cares? Yeah, there's a because as a columnist and like 
as hopefully one day I'll have my own radio show, you kind of have to have an opinion on everything, but not stuff like this. Like, you don't have to be a contrarian about All-Star Game helmets. That's not where your hot takes need to lie. How can you have an opinion about this? Yeah, I guess. And then for it to be a bit much, are we going to start doing this for every player who transfers? Dan, they literally cover their helmets and logos. I mean, who, there's like Josiah Coatney, right? He's at the Senior Bowl. If he feels like it, he'll throw on a Washington State and an Oklahoma and an Oregon and an Oregon State and a Furman all over his helmet. They cover each other's helmets. They make friends with these things, and it doesn't matter. It just, God, this guy's existence is so sad. Yeah, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's a good way to sum it up. It's almost like his whole identity is being a Gannett columnist. Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, and back to the Titans and the Chiefs. So just thoughts on this in general. I just, I, you know, I, the, the game had to go a certain way for the Titans. And I would say for 20, what, 60-minute game, 26, 26 minutes it did. And the, the end of the first half is really where the game was over, to be completely honest. Not to be like hot take, like, hey, it's over, a type of guy, like I wasn't going to tweet it at halftime or anything. But the game really ended there, in my opinion. It felt like it was over. It, just with the way the Titans have to score the way they're built, it just it wasn't going to happen. But, man, I, I saw some people, and I agree with the idea that they abandoned the run too early. But at the same time, the Chiefs did such a good job stopping the run. So uh, you mentioned the quick three and out when they got conservative. You can't roll out in the second half and just start handing the ball off and expect to come back from behind with the way they were stopping Derrick Henry. You had to throw the football. It just didn't work. And that's, I mean, that's just what happens. Right. I mean, that, that, that series where they get it back with three minutes left in the first half, like I'm thinking, God, one answering with a touchdown would be gigantic, and then you're really set up to win this bad boy because you go up ten uh, at halftime. But I really, I mean, you're thinking at that point, at at worst, like we need to be the last one to touch the football because I mean, I, mean, I guess I, I do mean it quite literally. But you know, you punt it back to him with 27 seconds left, something like that. You need to give them zero chance to touch the ball and score. And that's just not what happened at all. And then, like, I had no doubt the Chiefs were scoring a touchdown. I did see a good point brought up by – I think I saw it on Twitter, but I, it was also brought up by someone I was watching the game with. Uh, Mahomes' play covered up some pretty horrible clock management by Andy Reid because they had two timeouts, and yet he somehow allowed them to get down to, like, the 29 or 30 with, like, 16 seconds left, and they hadn't used any of the timeouts. Like, the way he let the clock bleed down – was like the timeouts were essentially relevant. Like, yeah, you could stop the clock, but there was only at that point with 17, 18 seconds, whatever it was, there's only like, you know, you're only running three, four plays regardless. Timeouts like basically decreased in value by half. Like that would have just been a classic. If they hadn't have scored on that and it would have changed the game, I think that would have been your classic. Holy shit. Look what Andy Reid did again with his timeouts type of deal. But Mahomes saved him. Pretty much. Yeah. And, um, now, to me, the Chiefs are infinitely more likable than the 49ers. And I can't figure out why, because it's, I mean, it's a good story. They picked second in the draft last year and, uh, I mean, won a bunch of games and Garoppolo's handsome or whatever. Uh, but 
I find myself wanting Kansas City to win the Super Bowl now so much more. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Richard said it today, and I agree with him. The way he goes about playing the game is fun. Like, it's fun to watch, and not just because he's good. It's like his demeanor, the way he plays beyond having a big, strong arm and completing a bunch of passes is enjoyable to watch. Like, he's just fun. His mannerisms are fun. His style is fun. I like watching him more than Rodgers. Rodgers is a brilliant talent, but there's something about Mahomes that makes me just enjoy watching him play, and I want them to win the Super Bowl by 21 or more points. Just dominate San Francisco, and I can't figure out why. Yeah, he's awesome. I agree. I, um, yeah, he's, I mean, he, he, is, uh, he is fantastic. And, and I think it's just, I don't know, Andy Reid's been in the NFL a long time, been a great coach in a long time, only had one crack at a Super Bowl, got close with the Eagles. You know, they had the heartbreak last year to where, I mean, again, this is all a game I always point to where, like, if you want to change the NFL overtime rules, that was one of the greatest shootouts ever between, you know, the greatest quarterback of all time and the kind of, like, the guy you figured he'd pass the torch to to the next generation and Mahomes not getting the ball back in that overtime last year in that AFC title game really just kind of sucks for sports in general. But, yeah, I mean, it, they had that last year. Like, you figured this was probably their best chance because Mahomes is about to make a boatload of money. Shout out to my uh, my, my guy Lee Steinberg, who is his agent. Uh, so, uh, you know, real-life Jerry Maguire, he is, uh, he is about to be uh, – have a very rich client, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, this felt like a, their best opportunity, quarterback on the rookie deal. I think they finish it off, but, man, you know, my winners we'll, – we'll get to this game first, and then I have some thoughts on the Super Bowl. But the second game really was never a game despite what happened in the second half. Aaron Rodgers now 1-3 in AFC title games, and the AFC title game he won was they barely got by the Bears when Jay Cutler got hurt, and that was the all-time – Jay Cutler has shitty body language game. If you remember that one from a few years ago, where he's just he's just standing on the sidelines, wishing he had a cigarette and a Budweiser, and that he was anywhere <laughs> but the football field. That yeah. that game, I mean, I mean, I can't really blame Rodgers for this one because his defense couldn't stop the run, but the offense also did very little to stay in the game. He fumbled a snap under center. I don't know if that's his fault or the center's fault, but I mean. At a certain point, the sample size is what it is. He just – a cowherd has this, been on this take for a while, but it's like you really would rather have Russell Wilson because Rodgers just like – he doesn't feel like he's going to fight for you to the end at all, to whereas Russell Wilson at least like – I'll watch Aaron Rodgers and I don't always think he's trying. And I know that's not the case, but I don't know why it feels like that. It's a little cutlerish. Yeah, man, and he's <laughs> – he never plays to contact either. I mean, my God, look at his helmet and the way he wears it. Like, he doesn't expect to get touched, and he makes sure that he doesn't get touched. It, it, I'm with you. And if you listed the quarterbacks you take over Rodgers right now, it's a pretty long list. And I know he's won a Super Bowl, and he's got the numbers and the talent and all that, but it's almost as if that Super Bowl season was the exception to the rule. That he is Cutlerish, that he's extremely talented, more talented than Cutler, but his career is going to be largely filled with coming up short and disappointing performances when it matters most, aside from the Super Bowl, which maybe that's stupid to say, but that was a long time ago. I mean, everyone he's compared with, and I hate this is so like first takey hot take culture, but I mean, like every quarterback from the generation he came up with, and granted, he was 
two years behind Eli Roethlisberger. Breeze, I guess, a little further than that. But you get the same area. I mean, they all have two Super Bowls, or at least it play, it played in a couple. Like, you know, or I guess what, Breeze has the one and only played in one, but I, I count his a little different because his career in New Orleans got started a little later, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like, well, and he got started been... right after Katrina. They had to rebuild that team. And then uh, after the Super Bowl, they had the worst defenses in the NFL. He had to play with the worst defenses for like four straight seasons. I mean, just terrible teams around him. And they finally now, over the last, what, four or five years, have acquired enough talent for them to be actually competitive outside of having a good quarterback. He was on awful football teams and still produced. And Rodgers has dealt with some of that, too, not having defense, not having receivers. But, like, Breeze has lost title games in inexplicable ways where the minute – or, you know, not the divisional game Minneapolis Miracle last year, all that jazz. Like, like if Rodgers lost like that, he'd get more of a pass. But they've gotten their brains beat in in quite a few big-time playoff games. And I don't know. Just he something played like about garbage him. this year. I mean, it, it's yeah. more to it than just that. But if he plays better, they beat Minnesota this year. Yeah, exactly, so. and some something about it just or, or something about him, his demeanor, whatever it is, just kind of irks me, and I don't know exactly what it is. But that game was never really a game. You know, Jimmy G went, I think, an entire like what he didn't he go like a quarter and a half without having to throw a pass. I think so. I mean, six of eight in the game, he threw eight passes and won the NFC Championship. My God, what is it, nineteen yeah. forty? Yeah, and I mean that <laughs> that seems ideal. But on the flip side of that was kind of the segue I was getting into. That Niners running game is absurd. And then they lose Tevin Coleman to injury. I don't I didn't ever read after the game how significant that was. I hope it's not too bad for his sake. But like didn't really miss a beat. And like I, I, that was fun to watch. I mean, you talk about like old school football porn. Holy lord. Like, I mean, they were just smashing folks up front. And uh, you know, my winners list today on the radio show was the football fans because I do think at the end of the day, we've got the two best teams in the Super Bowl. And that's not always the case. I'll hear an argument for Baltimore. I'm cool with that because they did torch the NFL for all the year. But, like, I'm cool with this. Like, this seems to me seems like the two best teams in the uh, – you know, best team in the NFC, best team in the AFC. You know, Saints were talented too, but, like, don't lose at home to Minnesota. So I, I'm happy with this, and it creates a hell of a matchup because, one, the only way to beat Mahomes is you pressure him without having to blitz, and what do the Niners do? They make they embarrass 300-pound offensive linemen. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. Horrible uniform matchup, though, but I guess that's not uh, not the analysis our listeners are looking for. Um, I saw the Niners are petitioning to wear the throwback all-whites. Yeah, they need to. It, the NFL is so stupid. Not letting teams like the 49ers or the Saints or these teams with these really good color rushes to just kind of wear them as a uniform. I mean, what what is the point of having teams just have two uniforms? Why? Why is that a thing? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. I mean, get wouldn't you think that like having more uniforms that fans would go buy the jerseys and then you would make more money. I don't know. Either way, yes, exciting Super Bowl. Anxious to see Patrick Mahomes on this kind of stage and if he can complete the run because he's got the upside and the ability to be a generational potential greatest of all time type skill set. I mean, that's how good he is. And 
what do they say? The first one's the the most difficult. I, I'm anxious to see if he can get over the hump. And on the flip side, Kyle Shanahan's redemption tour, Jimmy Garoppolo, all the, I mean, storylines are abound. I can't wait. And we still got to wait two weeks, of course, but I, I cannot wait for this one. Yeah, and it's uh like it it your point on Mahomes is a good one because one I always think in like it particularly like I hate I sound like a, such an old man lately because I keep going back to social media, but like day and age of social media, like it tends to lend itself on focusing on the bad, like holy crap, Bill O'Brien should be fired. Like, how did the Texans do that? You know, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, he stunk. But like what Mahomes has done and the Chiefs' offense has done is just is absurd. Like to me, that was the real storyline from that game two weeks ago against Houston. Because like the Texas defense stinks. Like yeah, Bill O'Brien made some head scratching decisions. But, but you've now seen two weeks in a row where this, you had an NFL offense go against two one good NFL defense, one bad one in the Texans, to where it really just didn't like if they didn't score a touchdown, you were going to be shocked. Because even watching the Titans, who had a Super Bowl caliber defense, there were points that game where I was just stunned if the Titans got a stop. Like, when the Chiefs touched the ball, like, I thought it was going to be a touchdown. They're just operating at such an absurd level. And this is year two for this dude. Yes, I get it's technically year three, but he sat out a year. This is year two of him being a starting quarterback in the NFL, and he's played in an AFC title game and was inches away from going for the Super Bowl. D Ford lining up offsides probably wins that, to be honest. I think they beat the Rams in the rematch. Maybe I'm wrong. And now he's actually going back and what, he's 23? I mean, this is this is really kind of unprecedented. Yeah, it is, and I hope it works out for him because he does seem like a pretty good dude, uh, just all around nice guy, humble, good player, really likable. He's the kind of star that I I tend to root for. Just seems like a down home, decent dude. Yeah, none he seems of the, awesome. Uh, just none of this look at me stuff. Not flashy. I mean, been dating the same girl for a long time, and maybe that doesn't work out. But still, like all that wholesome stuff that people want their quarterbacks to be, he actually is. Yep, and like I don't know, there's there's something like to your point, just very clearly likable about him. It's almost kind of hard to put your finger on, to some degree, but it's uh, it is certainly there. Uh, so should be a fun Super Bowl matchup. That'll be f- a lot of fun. Again, like it it it's. For like for two straight years, I feel like we've gotten this like great contrast because it's like, I mean, the Niners are a team that could beat the Chiefs because the team the, the way you beat the Chiefs is make Mahomes sit on the sideline. And guess who didn't have to throw a pass for a quarter and a half? Jimmy Garoppolo. They will run on anyone. You know, Chiefs stop Henry. Can they do it again? Little duffer challenge with the way Kyle Shanahan runs. And then on the other side, you've got an incredible pass rush against an incredible quarterback. I'm pumped. Should be awesome. Uh, last thing we got to get to is Ole Miss basketball. First, again, or again, let me remind you to go see LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. That was uh, we got one more LB's pick them football wise in a couple weeks. We'll get Greg's pick, talk some meat. I'm sure between now and then, but steaks, custom cuts, daily specials. Greg's got what you need over there. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Appreciate him sponsoring the show. Go see him. It is awesome. You will not regret it. Lastly, Ole Miss played a basketball game this weekend. And it went like a lot of their games have gone of late. I should say a lot. Uh, it's felt like it's felt like it's gone that way a lot recently. Uh, they had a lead in the second half. They you know had about a four or five minute scoring drought down the stretch that just killed them. They lose to LSU eighty to seventy six. They're now uh, they're now zero and four in the SEC with a week on the road ahead at Tennessee at Georgia. 
followed by Auburn in a return trip to LSU. It's uh, it's getting to that point where it's looking like it's about to spiral. This felt like a last dance type of deal, and they were yet again unable to get it done. I think it's as simple as, one, they're a horrible rim-protecting team. They're very soft down there. And, two, they don't have a secondary score uh, behind Tyree that can create and make shots late in games when you need them to. And it showed once again because you had your senior All-SEC guard go for 36 points and you lost the game. Yeah, that's that's just unbelievable. I mean, and Tyree's been so impressive these last – it's wash, rinse, repeat. It's the same thing that's happened for the last few games, as you mentioned. It's Tyree does really good things. Nobody else shows up, not physical down low. But what he's been able to do – when everybody and their brother knows he's the only scorer and he still can create for himself, he can get the basket, his mid-range game is really good. Putting down 36 in a game where LSU and every idiot in the stadium knew that he was the guy that was going to score points for this team and that was it, still dropping 36 is so impressive. And doing it on 12 of 20. It wasn't like James Harden tonight, who, by the way, shot 1 of 17 from beyond the arc. One of 17 for James Harden behind the arc tonight. Like, he didn't have to shoot in volume. Took 20 shots, but he made 12 of them. That kid's impressive. And all doing that with a back injury. But that just magnifies the problem with that team. Three bench points. C had, what was it, 10 and 8, 10 and 6? But there is no rim protection, no physicality. Wash, rinse, repeat. Tyree's ability to keep them in games is the only reason why they're here. He can't afford to even have not an exceptional night for them to stay in basketball games right now. I can't decide if playing LSU close is a sign that, hey, maybe they're going to win some games moving forward or just another example of they've got a really good scorer, a really good player, and nobody else has taken a step forward or shown up, and Shuler and Henson and Buffin have regressed. Yeah, it's just like Buffin and Henson haven't become consistent scoring options, and Shuler's just playing very poorly. I mean, I mean, Kermit Davis said at a point when he got to the game, he said, look, kid's heart's in the right place, but he's got to play better. I mean, he's a veteran guard for us. Like, we can't afford to have him play this poorly. Uh, it seems like it's just – I don't know if he's not healthy. I don't know if it's mental, but he's not shooting the basketball very well. That's affecting other things. He's not distributing it as efficiently as he was at the beginning of the year either. And it's really hurting them. I mean, the ball sticks. Like Tyree's really their only consistent scoring threat. And then, like the, like, and then it, to, it just seems like one thing after another in terms of stuff they either can or can't control. Like they came into the game leading the SEC in free throw percentage, and then proceeded to go nine of nineteen to where I've never seen this at a game before. Tyree was nine of nine, and the rest of the team was zero for ten. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I mean, just like, I mean. It's not really like the fault of anyone because they've been a good free throw shooting team. It just kind of happened, and you're just kind of like this team in that sense can't really catch a break. But you know that was the story kind of. But they also just got absolutely brutalized on the glass. LSU's bigs. LSU's a really long, really athletic team, and they have one really talented guard that they kind of play around. Aside from that, and their length really bothered Ole Miss. Uh, when you know Javante Smart did get to the rim, he was met with, with very little resistance. It just added up to a uh, another crushing loss for Ole Miss. And, like, they had a chance. They got down nine. It looked like LSU was about to run them out of the gym. They were flat. To their credit, they turned it around, explode for a 15-2 to two run. Tyree's making shots, places lively. And then they just have a four-minute scoring drought. 
that just kills them, kills all the momentum. They're not able to throw it in the ocean after that. They had some mental breakdowns. They ran a draw. They were down three in the final minute. They ran a draw up uh, to get Tyree the basketball. And Austin Crowley, freshman, just because he was open, aborted it and shot a corner three and clanked it off the rim. Kermit was particularly pissed at that. Um, but just kind of mental mistakes, and they're not great defensively, and they don't have any scores. I mean, that just kind of equates to having a bad team. I uh, Tyree was very emotional after the game. You could tell this uh, – all of this losing is wearing on him. I mean, to me, there's to me covering college basketball for a couple of years now, there seems to be a point, and you, it kind of manifests itself more when uh, the season's not going well, that, a, that seniors kind of realize that their days are numbered and that sense of urgency kind of kicks in. And that, to me, that seemed to very much dawn on Tyree Saturday night. He was uh, very emotional saying this is not the way he wanted to go out. He didn't want to give this image. He, you know, he just... He was like, we just can't, for whatever reason, get over the hump. You know, encourage guys to get in the gym more. Said he's not going to give up. He's going to do whatever the hell it takes. I mean, like, it, it, it's the closest I've ever coming to feeling bad, genuinely bad for someone after a regular season loss. Is, and I have in a while because, like, you could tell this was really paining him. And he's to blame. Like, I mean, he's not completely absolved to blame because there are things he does defensively that aren't particularly great. But, I mean, he's busting his ass and is just not getting a lot of help around him. What do you, does it sound like it's going to fuel him and he'll keep playing better? Or do you think there might be some give up in that group? Man, I don't know how he can play any better. <laughs> I don't, That's got to be exhausting, man. I mean, he I went mean, for 36 the, the other night. <laughs> and lost. And a couple of late possessions that don't run through him. I mean, that as you mentioned, that's just inexcusable. And Kermit was pissed, so it's not like it was something that he decided. But still, you've got to run possessions through the only guy that can score – late in a basketball game that that's just but man but they're so close too so it's not like he's pouring down 36 and they lose by 15 they're in these games they should have beaten arkansas they should have beaten texas a&m and they should have beaten lsu on saturday night they are right there they just need somebody else to make a play at some point late in a game. Just one person. And they've got dudes that are capable of doing it. Like, let's not pretend that the skill set isn't there for Blake Henson. Or the skill set isn't there for Devontae Shuler. It's there. They're so close. And yet sit here at 0-4 in the league. Or 0-5 yep. in the league. Is it 4? Yeah. It's they're four. They're one behind because they're not. They they started uh, later because they're not playing the uh, Big Twelve Challenge or whatever it is in in the next week or two, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's it's a tough deal. I mean they, they're just not a very good team. Uh, you know, you thought the secondary score was going to be Shuler. Like I thought by committee between Buffin, Henson, and Shuler, you'd have enough offensive weapons to take pressure off Tyree. And to be completely honest, that just hasn't happened. And couple with zero rim protection zero depth in the post i mean hell kermit's having to now choose between playing carlos curry and sammy hunter in reserve minutes behind c like hunter was a, i mean excuse me curry was a guy they just kind of written off as far as being in the rotation kind of working out here he plays 17 minutes because he has to the other night at florida because c got suspended and he like i mean it was such a low bar c ex, i mean uh uh, Curry existed decently, basically. Like I can't find one thing in those 17 minutes in that stat line that would make you think, 
oh yeah, like he's got to play more. But Sammy Hunter's been so bad, Kermit was kind of like, oh, why the hell not? I'm going to try playing him some. And he tried it for a little bit in that game, didn't work. They're just, I'm saying a lot of words to basically just outline how brutal of a spot they're in. It's not going to get any better. Um, you know, from a big picture standpoint, it'll be interesting to see how he changes his roster again, um, you know, with attrition among other things. But it's looking like a lost year more and more. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, Tennessee's beatable, Georgia's beatable, but they got a lottery pick on the floor. But the things we're saying they don't do are of utmost importance on the road. So I don't see how you could kind of forecast them to win a road game. Yeah, I mean, it might spiral out of control. I don't know if 0-4 is recoverable anyway. I mean, at this point, it's just try to salvage what you can. Maybe make the NIT if you can, but just try to end on a high note and recruit well and start over, basically. So they've got Tennessee, uh, what, that's tomorrow night, Tuesday, I should say. It depends on when you're listening to this because I'm putting it up late. Monday night, uh, 8 p.m. tip, if I'm not mistaken, so... Really going to enjoy staying up late uh, to watch that one and write about it. Uh, so I think that's really about all we uh, all we got today. Did we miss anything else? I don't believe so. I mean, we can this talk is... Zion another day. Uh, we'll have a pod, by, well, I guess. Yeah, we'll have one Wednesday before his debut. Ooh, the all right. Day of. They smoked the Grizzlies tonight. Yeah, they did. Uh, they beat the hell out of them. They're playing well. Brandon Ingram's probably going to be an all-star. But we could do that, and then we could do the uh, – I keep wanting to go back to this sign-stealing deal, but we keep just – I mean, <laughs> we've gone long enough. There's been plenty to talk about. We're probably going to hit the sign-stealing and the Zion on Wednesday. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I think that's all we got. Uh, we, again, apologize for the tardiness. Um, I don't know what I ate. I made a steak in the air fryer, but I don't think that was it because it tasted better than any steak I had on the grill. Have you used one of those things? I've never used an air fryer, and a steak in an air fryer is interesting to me. I am a, I am not a cooking guy. I am very much hand up, very illiterate on cooking. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, I've told Greg how stupid I am when it comes to using uh, cooking utensils. Like, very much not so. And I bought a steak Sunday for the game, and I was going to cook it on the grill, but charcoal takes forever. And uh, my roommate was like, put it in the air fryer. I did it the other night. It was fantastic. And... So basically you stick it in there for 20 minutes, you flip it after 10, and I'm not being exaggeratory, it was as good or better than any steak I've ever cooked on the grill myself. I mean, I, it was to me it was leaps and bounds better. It was fantastic. Took 20 wow. minutes, didn't have to screw with it, flipped it once. Um, that's saying I'm talking myself out of saying that's what made me sick, but who knows. Anyway, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was your cooking corner on this podcast. So anyway, sorry for the tardiness, but we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Uh, sure, plenty of stuff to get into. Basketball game to react to, NBA, all kinds of stuff. Uh, if you like what you heard today, like and subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, I will address the uh, T-shirt controversy this week. I don't know why I called it a controversy. I've just been too lazy to look into it. <laughs> but I keep getting more and more calls about T-shirts. So we will uh, we'll figure that out as well. But for Michael Borky, I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thank you for listening once again. And we'll be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.